before we study, we're going to continue our um, prayer, and I want to bring two others before the church. You know, every time we gather, we gather for worship, we gather to honor God and to read and study from His Word, but we also have on our hearts those within our family and friends and community that are struggling. And so we're going to honor that this morning as well, uh, just like we do every week. And uh, before we pray, I want you to keep in your thoughts this week uh, Susan George's daughter, Laura Kelty. She's going in for a procedure this week, and um, they've asked us to pray. Susan's asked us to pray for him. And also I want us to pray for Grayson Gage. Grayson, as you know, has a separated shoulder, and uh, for the past few weeks, he's really been struggling with that. Had an episode this week at school, took him to the hospital, and uh, long story short, ended up having to go to Dallas uh, for some more tests, and uh, all the tests are coming back okay. Everything's related to the shoulder, but it's still a very iffy time for the family. I know Clinton Misty and all their family are very tired, not getting a lot of rest because they're so concerned uh, about Grayson. Grayson's tired. He is just uh, in a lot of pain and all of that. And so I just want us to uh, pray for this family this morning. And uh, if it's convenient, I'm going to ask that you join hands with those next to you. And uh, let's go to God in prayer this morning and uh, on these behalf. Father, we love you and we seek you out. We seek your face. We call out to you. And your voice is the voice that we long to hear every day of our lives, every moment. And Father, you know there's so many other voices that cry out for our attention. But you alone are God. You are the one that we want to hear and listen to. Because, Father, we know as we listen to you, we know that you are at work. And we come before you this morning and we bring Laura Kelty before you and her mom, Susan. And I pray for strength, and I pray that you be with them this week as they go through, as Laura goes through this procedure. Be with her family. And we pray that all things turn out good, Father. Father, we also bring before you this morning Grace and Gage. Father, we love Grayson. We love his spirit. We love his youthfulness and how he makes us smile and, and all of that. And Father, we know right now he's in a lot of pain and he's hurting. And we pray that you will ease that pain up every day. And I pray for Clint and Misty, Gary and Deborah and their family. And I pray that you give them strength and I pray that you hold them close to you. And Father, I pray that in the in the days to come, that he will get better, that this shoulder will 
come back into place and and everything father these episodes and these things that he's having with his body I pray that all of that go away father we know you're the God of miracle the God of power and we bring that before you this morning and we ask that your will be done in Jesus name we pray and together we say amen I want you to hear these words as we begin from A.W. Tozer. He's one of my favorite authors. He's a minister and is an author, and he writes great thoughts, deep thoughts that really stir our hearts and make us think. It should be on the screen. I want you to look at these words this morning. God dwells in a state of perpetual enthusiasm. He says he is delighted with all that is good and lovingly concerned about all that is wrong. He pursues his labors always in a fullness of holy zeal. No wonder when the Spirit came at Pentecost as a sound of a rushing mighty wind and set in tongues the fire on every forehead. Whatever else happened at Pentecost, one thing that cannot be missed by the most casual observer was the sudden upsurging of moral enthusiasm. Those first disciples burned with a steady inward fire. They were enthusiastic to the point of complete abandon. I want you to keep that phrase in your mind this morning about surging up with moral enthusiasm. We're going to see how that plays out in our story this morning, we're going to be looking at two different texts. And I'm going to give you the page numbers of the Pew Bibles if you're looking uh, there. Page 268 will be in 2 Kings chapter 10. And then on page 564, we'll find ourselves at the end in Jeremiah chapter 35. When a Christian, when you and I, as people of God, are in touch with God. When we are in touch with His Son, Jesus Christ, and His Spirit that lives within us, we sometimes find ourselves like the disciples on the Damascus Road in Luke 24. And I love this scripture. It says, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. Didn't our hearts burn within us? It's that enthusiasm, it's that holy zeal that A.W. Tozer was talking about that needs to be present, that needs to take place in the life of a Christian. And so... I want to ask you this morning, if you were pressed to compromise your convictions or the commitments that you have made to God, would you have the courage to stand by those commitments and your convictions? It's real easy in this auditorium full of fellow Christians to say, yes, I would do that. If you put me on the stand, if you put my life on the line and I had to stand up for my convictions and my commitments to God, absolutely 
I would say it in a heartbeat. And I would say how I feel. Dan Yeary, in his work, Proclaim, he speaks of those who make commitments that are only half commitments. And he says this. He says, half commitment is spouting pious words about submission while resisting all authority. He says, half commitment is justifying everything you want to do because if you were God, you would let him do it. If you were God. But here is God speaking to his children, asking us, as we've sung about this morning and as we've already read, he's asking us to have a heart. To have a heart that's sold out completely to him. No half-truths, no half-commitments, but everything in. Ownership that our heart belongs to God. And so in Jeremiah, we read of a people who when tested, they stood by a commandment given and a commitment made by an ancestor some 250 years before they were even born. Did you hear that? Some 250 years after they are standing there on the truths that their ancestors had laid before them. Now I want to give you some backstory to that before we look at that scene in Jeremiah 35. The Rechabites were descendants of Moses' father-in-law Jethro. Okay, They were God-fearing people with a strong testimony in Israel. And so the newly appointed king Jehu chose Jonadab, the son of Rechab, to ride with him in his chariot. And here was their task. He said, we're going to go and we're going to clean up the wicked influences that have dominated Israel at the present time. And he goes on to explain to him and he says, your presence is going to strengthen my reputation as a godly king. Now, how many of you would sign up to ride in his chariot knowing that that's what your task is before you? Now again, on the other side, it's easy to say, yes, I would do that. But I want you to think about that. You're not going to be popular at all. You're going to be in the minority and your task is to look around with your influence and your godly principles that you have as a part of your life and your task and your role is to be that good example, be that good person to try to clean up all the wickedness that you see taking place. And we know that can't take place overnight, but King Zahu was trying everything that he could to do that. You see, look at Jonadab for a minute. He lived in a period of Israel's history that should ring very familiar with our culture today and the influences that the culture has on the church and has on us even in our own walk day by day. And so King Ahab and his queen Jezebel had turned the nation of Israel away from God of their fathers 
And they had steered it down in a course of perversion, a course of moral decline, of spiritual decline. I mean, you could literally say they were headed south, okay? And so Jezebel, you remember she was from Tyre, and her dad was the priest who worshipped Baal and all these other deities that went along with it. And so Ahab's spiritual apathy and this religious co-mingling allowed Jezebel and all of her friends to continue to spread paganism across the land. I mean, just one bad thing and one negative thing and one more thing that goes against the will of God. I mean, it was hard during that time to be an, a person that was upright and a person with that holy zeal and a person with that moral enthusiasm that A.W. Tozer was talking about just a moment ago. Very, very hard. And so this was the setting that Jonadab lived in. Here's what I want you to know about Jonadab. He's not a prophet. He's not a general. He's not a king. He's not a judge. He was just an average person just like us that's trying to do what's right. He was just an average person who happened to be an incredible father in a dark, dark time in history. Should have thrown it in, should have checked it in a long time ago because he didn't have a lot of people on his side as far as a positive influence. But somehow, by the grace of God, he rose above that. And sandwiched in between all of that, you have King Ahab and Queen Jezebel that had pushed God out of the culture of Israel. Just like we see today, here's what you saw then. God was no longer in the government. He was no longer with people's morals and values. He was no longer in society. I mean, people were just living and doing as they pleased. And we know when we live life that way, we're in trouble, right? And so in the eyes of the people, God is nowhere to be found. And so those who did try to cling to him and those who did try to stay true, they were very hard to find. But they were living their life in such a way that they wanted to try and make a difference somehow with those around them. And so King Jehu starts his journey, and here was his journey. He says, I'm going to attempt to bring Israel back to God. What a task. What a person of faith. What a person of commitment that says, I'm going to stand up and I want to be counted as one of the very few right now that's standing with God. And he says, and I want to do all that I can to bring Israel back in a relationship with God. And so on his journey, he stops to talk to a man on his way to his mission. And here's what we find in 2 Kings chapter 10. And I want you to find verse 15. 
And here's what you see. When Jehu left there, he met Jehonadab, son of Rechab, who was coming to meet him. And after they had greeted each other, Jehu said to him, Are you as loyal to me as I am to you? Yes, I am, Jehonadab replied. If you are, Jehu said, then give me your hand. And Jehonadab put out his hand, and Jehu helped him into the chariot. And he said, now come with me and see how devoted I am to the Lord. And so Jehonadab rode along with him. And when Jehu arrived in Samaria, he killed everyone who was left from Ahab's family, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. In other words, you're going to kill all of those who are not for me. All of those who are going against me and my will, you're going to get rid of them. Now, can you imagine? Well, that'd be the ride of a lifetime, wouldn't it? But, but do you see what he says there? He put out his hand and he helped them into the chariot and says, come with me and see how devoted I am to the Lord. Do you see the calling there for our life and the example that we have to those around us and especially to our family? Where we're talking and where we're studying and where we're urging and where we grab hands and those pats on the back and all of that that says, follow God. Follow his way. Because when you follow his way, it will bring great blessings to not only you, but as we're going to see as this story continues, it will bless your whole family. Now, what's important about that, church? That's the plan of God. The plan of God is for it to start, let's take you in your heart and for you to plant those seeds and be that person that you need to be where they see God living in you. Now let's face it, we're living in a dark world, right? We're, li we're living in a culture that continues to push God out. Our government continues to push God out. I mean, it's almost like what we're reading right here. Hello, we're living in it right now in 2015, right? And so it's still a challenge, big challenge, for us as families and for the church to see the importance of stepping in and putting in a good word for God. And it starts in our hearts. And it starts with the commitment that we're going to make. All Jehonadab could do at this time is pray that the way that he was living would impact his family years down the road. That's all he could do was pray. He couldn't guarantee it. And you know what? We can't do that either, can we? As much as we want our family and our friends 
to seek that relationship with God if they're not, we can't make them. We can pray, we can nudge, we can push, we can encourage, and we can do that day in and day out. And we do that, don't we? And we do that just like the backdrop here against a nation, against a society, against a culture that just continues. It's almost like with every decision we're making to just see how much more we can just get God out of the picture. And so I wonder, is our heart right? The question that he asked is so good. Is your heart right as my heart is with yours? Great question. You see, King Jehud needed someone who was just as passionate about God as Baal worshipers were passionate about Baal. Do you see that? Man, when you're passionate about your little gods and all your other little deities, and you, you see this in Scripture, I mean, they pour their heart and they pour their soul out to those false gods, don't they? I wonder what would happen if we poured our heart and we had that holy zeal to pour our hearts out to the one true God. Just as those who worship the false gods do. Something to think about, isn't it? And you know, we can sit there all day long and we can say it's wrong and it's false, and it is. But boy, they were devoted, weren't they? Sometimes they're more devoted than we as the people of God are to the one who created us, and we know that everything turns out for our good. And sometimes we still turn our head on it and ignore it. Could it be that God may just be using us as his children to be salt and light and influence to those around us to come once again and seek the face of God? King Jehu asked a great question thousands of years ago that I think is still relevant today. Is your heart right? And you see, because Jehu and Jonadab were faithful and they did all that they could to remove Baal worship from Israel and help the people return to God, you remember the rest of the story? They bought Israel 120 more years before they would be judged and taken in to captivity. Because two men said yes to the will of God. Church, don't ever think that you alone can't do mighty things for God. Don't think that you've got to have 5,000 people on your side. That would be nice, wouldn't it? But this morning, as we look at this scripture, it could just be that God is just looking at you and saying, what about your heart? I'm not worried about everybody else. I'm worried about you. Because when everybody else says yes, man, the numbers grow, don't they? But it starts by each one of us saying, I'm going to be Jehonadab. 
And I'm going to be the one to take a stand and pray that my family one day will look back and see and just read and look at history at my example and follow suit. As a church, if we don't realize the importance of putting on the full armor of God and equipping ourselves, we become prey for what consumes our culture even today. Here's a truth that we've got to keep in our minds daily. Satan is well and alive. But so is God. And our God is greater than Satan. Our God can defeat anything that Satan throws our way. And it doesn't need to be, oh, I hope so, or oh, I think so, or oh, hope we can get by with this one more time. As people of faith, we need to have that confidence that says, yes. My God is bigger than anything that Satan throws at me. He's bigger than anything that Satan throws at your kids. And that's what Jehonadab is wanting his family one day to be able to see. As Peter says, be self-controlled and alert because your enemy prowls around looking for someone to devour. Man, if you're trying to figure out who your enemy is, it's probably not your next door neighbor. Your enemy is Satan. Your enemy are those dark forces that are trying to bring the people of God down and wipe them out. But just like they did thousands of years ago, it only takes one person to stand up and say, you know what, no more of this. As for me and my house, Joshua said, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house and all these other things, we're making a stake right now that we're not going to let these foreign gods, we're not going to let these other deities get their way anymore. By the power of God, we're going to conquer it. And you've got to have the confidence to believe that because we serve a big God, don't we? We serve a God that, as we've talked about in class this morning, if you're confining God to a box, oh, you're in trouble. But if you tear open that box and let God out of it and let his spirit out and let him work, you never know what can happen. You never know what can take place when you give God a try. And so you didn't think I was going to find Jeremiah 35, did you? Go to Jeremiah 35. Almost 300 years later, 300 years later, the descendants of Jonadab are still following their father's example. Wow. That is incredible. And they're showing loyalty 
to God. And so Jeremiah comes along and he's assigned to test the Rechabites so that their contrasting obedience could challenge Judah and later serve as an example to that generation there at the time. Now I'm going to save us some time. I'm going to start in about verse 5 and go down to verse 11. Uh, so let's, let's get one more page to Jeremiah 35, verse 5. He says, I set cups and jugs of wine before them and invited them to have a drink, but they refused. No, they said, we don't drink wine because our ancestor, Jehonadab, son of Rechab, gave us this command. You and your descendants must never drink wine and do not build houses or plant crops or vineyards, but always live in tents. And if you follow these commands, you'll live long and good lives in the land. So we've obeyed him in all these things. We've never had a drink of wine to this day, nor have our wives, our sons, or our daughters. I mean, you're talking about putting the fear of the Lord in your family. We haven't built houses or owned vineyards or farms or planted crops. We've lived in tents and have fully obeyed all the commands of Jehonadab, our ancestor, but when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked this country, we were afraid of the Babylonian and Syrian armies, so we decided to move to Jerusalem, and that, he says, is why we are here. I'm not using this as a whipping club this morning uh, about drinking or not drinking, okay? That's not what I, where I'm going with this passage, all right? I want you to see the example. Whether you agree with it or not, I want you to see the example of what Jehonadab has set forward for not just his life, but also, he says to his family, don't do this. Okay? And he's saying that because of their good. And again, this is through the Assyrian captivity. and I mean, it's tough. It's a challenge to say these words and can you imagine, can you imagine your family keeping your instruction some 250 years after you've gone on to be with the Lord? And we look at this this morning and we testify that Jehonadab's family learned to be faithful to God even during the toughest of times. When all the odds were against them. They follow God. Now, I think there's something in this story, and even in the backstory that we looked at, that we need to try to decode as Christians and even as a church. Following God's commands and following His ways is always best. It is always right. And realizing that we have his power, a power that's so much greater than we are, that is always at work. It's almost like God is saying here, I'm for you. I'm with you. Even in the toughest of times, 
And even when everybody else is selling out, I'm faithful to you. And all I'm asking you to do is be faithful to me. Again, easier said than lived out, right? Because the challenge there, one thing to read it, one thing to say it, easy to say, yes, I'm going to do that. But living that out and making sure your kids and your grandkids are trying to live that out, that's a full-time job, isn't it? Not that you can ever make the decision for them as much as you want to. You pray. And you realize that you're praying to a big God. A God that's out of the box. His spirit that's living within us. And we just pray, as Jehonadab set out for his family, that we stay close to God and that those behind us in years to come generation after generation after generation that there's close to God too and that'll happen when there's a stirring within us that believes that that holy zeal and that enthusiasm can still be present right now will you believe that Praise God for the way that he works. And praise God that he never gives up on those that he loves. And so this morning we're going to stand to sing a song. And I want you to think about your own journey this morning. Are you bringing people along with you on the road with God? It starts, you got to speak, you got to stand up, and you got to have the courage to live it out. It was hard then, it's hard, and it's getting harder even today, but it's still the plan. Will God's people rise up and speak a word for Him? Let's stand as we sing this song.